This weekend, we have landed on Matthew chapter 19. And for this afternoon, I'm actually going to be tackling the first part of Matthew 19. But uh, if you read on Matthew 19, there are three parts. There's the first part, which we'll get into in a moment. Then there is the middle section, which is only about two verses. It talks about how Jesus was telling the disciples not to forbid the little children from coming to him. And then there was the third part, which was about the rich young ruler. I tackled that in the second and third service, so it'll be on our podcast or YouTube. You can listen to that if you're interested. But today, we are going to go into a little bit of a, um, not so much of a controversial, but maybe more of a sensitive topic. So I'm going to share with you from the thought of marriage matters, deciphering divorce, and settling singleness. And we're going to go to Scripture. If you have your Bibles with you, could you turn to Matthew chapter 19 with me? It's going to be on the screen, but I want to encourage you to read from your Bibles if you could, if you brought it along with you. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone, who can, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who have been born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven." The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, uh, this afternoon, I recognize that I'm speaking to different groups of people as I was in the first service yesterday when I talked on this topic. I'm talking to, some, I'm talking to people who are married, to people who are considering marriage. I'm talking to people who are single and ready to mingle, perhaps. I'm also talking to people who I understand are going through divorce or are divorced, are considering divorce. Now, before we get into it, I first want to remind us that, first of all, if we profess ourselves to be believers, we have to allow the Word of God to shape our thinking on different matters and not our own feelings, not our own opinions, or not even opinions of the world. And the second thing, I would say is this. Now, you could be sitting here and you go, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not interested in marriage or I'm already married. La, are you? I've been married longer than you've been born, son. You know, don't tell me what about, don't tell me about marriage and all these different things. Or, you know, you could feel like this is not for you. But I beg to differ, humbly beg to differ. Because what I'm going to share with you this afternoon is from the Word of God, whether it's relevant to you, whether you are going, whether you're married, 
or whether you're going through a divorce or thinking of one, or if you're single, it applies to each and every one of us. Because the Bible and faith is not limited to just what happens on a Saturday and Sunday. You know, a lot of times we, we could be more interested, okay, um, I, 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 I'll keep God on a weekend. Like I'll keep faith on the weekend, but I want to remind us, gently remind us, that He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Jesus and the Word of God needs to go across every aspect of our lives, finances, relationships, even the way we make decisions, if we are to actually call ourselves genuine followers of Christ. Now, in this passage, Jesus is challenged on the issue of marriage. The, the, the Pharisees come up to him and outrightly ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They were, they were asking him, but most of the time, you know, Pharisees, when they ask questions, uh, they are not actually asking to get an answer. They're not really asking questions. They're questioning. They wanted to trap him. But what did Jesus say? Jesus didn't address their question right away. He didn't answer right away. But he brought them into the issue or the discussion of what a marriage is. So my first point is this. Marriage is a covenantal bond and not a contractual union. What do I mean by this? Now, I don't know about you, whether, you are, whether you know, you've been married for a while now. Okay, maybe just a, just a show of hands. How many of you, you you're mar- you've been married? You're, you're married. How many of you, you're married, okay? Happily? Just keep your hand up. Those, there are some people who don't, did not have their hand up, suddenly they shot up. It's like maybe your, your spouse is watching. Okay, thank you. How many of you, you will want to get married one day? Any, any, just come on, don't, don't be shy, all right? And don't lie, this is church after all, right? Yeah, there, there are a few of us, right? So, you know, for, for us, when we think of a wed, you know, when we think of marriage, we often think of weddings, Right? Because that's one of the, the first steps, the most the exciting part. Maybe if you go a step back, it's like proposing, right? Pro- proposals, right? and there are many types of proposals. You can go, you know, uh, you can do it in, you can do an extravagant one, a grand one, you can do a private and personal one. But most of us, we are also, uh, for those of us who are married and for those of us who plan to get married or want to get married, there is a certain kind of excitement when you plan your wedding, right? You know, you think about, okay, where are I going to have it? Uh, what flowers to get? What color to have? what clothes to put on, you know, what band is going to play and all these different things and all that. But, you know, being married, and I've not been married for a long time, been married for about four years now, one thing that I've quickly discovered is that you can have a really good wedding, but that doesn't mean you can, you're going to have a great marriage. Wedding, the wedding is just an event. It's a one-time thing. You go, you have it. You know, there's euphoria, lots of pictures. You feel like a star. Everybody wants to take pictures of you, with you, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and you give speeches and all that. But very quickly, you go back into what we call real life. Because many of us, when we dream of getting married, how many of you dream of like, oh, I can't wait to start doing dishes with my spouse? I can't wait to start cooking and cleaning. Can't wait to start scrubbing the toilets. Can't wait to start paying bills together. Oh, you know, I just love going through all those bills. You know, can't wait to do all the... You know, we don't think of the mundane things when it comes along with a marriage. And oftentimes, if we are honest, we also treat marriage like a contractual agreement. And I'll go into... I'll get into that in a moment um, 
what, what's the difference between a contract and a covenant? Now, I use the word covenant because marriage is actually God's plan and God's grand design. You know, if we were to remove God from uh, the equation, if we were to remove God from our lives, the truth be told, there is really no reason to get married. You know what I mean? In fact, those who are not spiritual or religious, they label themselves that, or they don't believe in God, they have this very good argument. They will say this, actually, why you want to get married? It is just a piece of paper. In fact, if you get married, it only makes things more complicated for you, right? You know, you got to go get this certification. You got to get a witness. And then if worse, and what the worst thing is, if there happens to, if anything goes wrong for whatever reason, it is harder to separate, go through all the legal processes and all that. So many people go into relationships and even marriages sometimes with an exit clause, with a way out, thinking if something were to go wrong, at least I have an exit. But marriage is ordained by God. And marriage is not just ordained by Him, it is actually a reflection of who He is. Because His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in Himself is already complete. He's a relational being. And out of that, He had Adam and Eve. That's why in a marriage where two, when a man and a woman come together, we have children. Because how many of you know, those of you who have children, right? Having children isn't a great financial investment. You feel me, right? And it's the same as, as, as God. You know, having human beings, some people say, oh, you know, why is God so insecure? Why will He want to have human beings so that they can worship God? But have you ever seen the amount of trouble? Have you ever thought the amount of trouble you give to God, right? Why would God want that? Because it's God in Himself. When there is a love present in a union, out of it comes reproduction. But I don't want to go into that. I don't get into that too, too detailed. Another reflection of that is Christ's relationship with the church. Because the church is called what? The bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. That's why I have really taken issue when people say, oh, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I believe in Christ. But I have an issue with the church. It's kind of like saying to someone, right? Oh, I like you a lot, but your wife, man, eh, not so much, right? How, how is anybody not supposed to be offended by that statement? The same thing. The church, though imperfect, Christ died for it, and Christ continues to love the church and perfect the church. But even, I'll go a step further. Marriage is actually an image or a reflection of God's relationship with mankind. Not just Christians, but mankind. And I'll pick that up later. I'll come back to that point. But the other thing is marriage is also a gift. I know those who are been married for a while ago, you sure or not? Very sure, okay? Get it right, right? Marriage is a gift. Because you know, in marriage, in a union of marriage, is where the four expressions of love can be fully seen. You know the word love? Like the word love in the English language is very limited. Because we throw it around. It's like, oh man, I love chicken rice, right? It's like, oh, so it's like you tell, you, you can, one day you can tell your, your parents, I love you guys, and then you say, I love chicken rice. So if your parents were standing in front of chicken rice, you know, in your way of chicken rice, will you kill them for chicken rice? No, right? So there's different types of love. And I'm just going to quickly show it to you on the screen. You know, in the Bible, there are different types of love. There is what we call agape love, 
which is unconditional love. Love that knows no bounds. Love given fully and unconditionally. Then there is also phileo love, which is friendly love. So you can be assured, you know, that if you, you know, if you have a, uh, you know, if you tell your spouse, I love you, and you tell a friend, I love you, I hope you don't mean the same kind of love, right? Most of us understand a different type of love. And then there is storge love, which is uh, a fam- family kind of love. So a love that is bound by family ties. So how many of you know family, sometimes you love them, but you don't really like them? No honest people in the house, right? You can repent later, right? Family, you love them, but you don't necessarily like them all the time because they can be a little bit irritating and annoying. But there is that bond there where you, you, know, where you love your family, you provide for them because of this storge love. And then, of course, there is eros love, which is romantic love, sexual love. Now, if you think about it, only in marriage, all four of this love is fully expressed. So marriage... It's a gift from God, not something for us to be taken lightly, whether you're married or you're single, but something for us to actually acknowledge and treasure this is of God. And marriage is a reflection of God's commitment to us because God is a covenantal God, not a contractual one. Now, I I can go into the big theology of this, right? I can go into the first covenant that God made with Abraham, or sorry, with Noah actually, where he's promised a covenant that he would never wipe out mankind again. And then of course, there is the Abrahamic covenant, right? Where, you know, God promises that Abraham will be a great nation and all that. But I don't want to get too technical. I want to instead contrast what a covenant is compared to a contract. So let's put that slide on the screen. You see this, a contract is an agreement but a covenant is a pledge. A contract has this attitude of what can I get, but a covenant thinks of what can I give. A contract is conditional, but a covenant is committed, and a a contract is signed, but a covenant is sealed. Let's put it this way. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. Have you ever been to a wedding where, you know, it's so emotional, the music is playing, all that. You, know, you see the, you know, the bridegroom standing there, hopefully he's crying as the bride comes in. And then, you know, they come in together and all that. They've exchanged their vows. And then after that, they shake hands. Thanks for coming, bro. Oh, thank you, right? It's good doing business with you. I'll see you at home. Have you ever been to a wedding like that? It must be a super ultra-conservative one, right? But no, right? You don't see that. So, and, and it's the same way. Many people, they treat a marriage, you know, they treat marriage like a contract. As long as you fulfill certain requirements, as long as you fulfill some of the responsibilities, I will stay committed to you. I will stay married to you. And that's the way we, that's the way we function in a lot of relationships, don't we? Right? Where we, you know, we feel that, okay, as long as you check my boxes, as long as you meet my conditions, I will love you. But the minute, you know, oh, you know, he's just not exciting enough for me, or, you know, he's just not rich enough for me, or she's not pretty enough for me, or, you know, she's, she used to be pretty, but now she's not, so that, you know, I, now she's failed certain boxes, so I, I can move on from this relationship, or I have reason to know. A lot of times in our attitudes, what we do is we have reduced marriage, which is supposed to be sacred, and it's a covenant, a reflection of God's covenant 
with man to simply a contractual agreement, but it is not so. Do you know in a marriage, you really have to, in order for it to work, you really have to outgive one another. The moment you start calculating, you are going to be in trouble. The moment you start counting and thinking, it is just not going to work. You know, I really want to honour my wife who's seated here at the front. She just spent time feeding my little daughter. You know, Kate, you know my, my wife, my wife, you know, she has given up uh, her work and she's given up even uh, living overseas, coming back now to take care of our little one. There are many times where she's unable to be in a church service, unable to listen to the sermon because I as the pastor, I have to be in a church service. I have to be at the front and you know, she's back somewhere feeding care or attending to her, putting her to sleep and, you know, and, be, and we don't have any help. Like, we don't have parents that we can just kind of like sub our kids to. You know, if you have this, praise God, praise God for your parents, right? But we don't have that kind of help. And we don't have a maid or so at home to actually, you know, help take care of the household. So a lot of times, it is really my wife keeping, you know, my household together and keeping my sanity in place as well. But in that aspect, you know, if we were to both calculate with each other, finish because honestly, if she were to come and tell me, you know, all the hours I said I did not sleep and all the things that I did not do, all the things I've given up for you, what am I supposed to say? I wouldn't be able to say anything. But we, but we have this thing where we understand it is a season that we are going through. And no matter what the, re- the challenge or the season, we are in a covenant. We are committed to one another, not conditional, right? And imagine this. What if one day the person you married becomes paralyzed? Is that reason now to say, sorry, you're going to become a burden, I get rid of you. Sorry, you know, you are, you are troublesome, I get rid of you. Think, for, think about that for a moment. Because I don't know about you, but you know, when you, when, when, you, when you think of a wedding, most of us have been to church weddings, right? All of us have been to church weddings, right? When we had a church wedding and when vows are exchanged, Sometimes, I, you know, I've been to weddings, sometimes I hear the vows that the guys give, right? I'm like, bro, are you sure or not? The guy's like literally like promising to be like Mr. Perfect. And I'm like, if I'm like a recorder, I'll be recording every single thing this person said, bring it up to them, right? But when a vow is made, it is actually made in the presence of God. That's what a church wedding is. It's not just the flowers or the ceremony and all that. It is actually a decoration, that we are now joined and I commit myself to you. Listen to a few statements of what a contract and a covenant is. A contract exchanges one good for another while a covenant is giving oneself to the other. You can opt out of a contract while a covenant is about having the strength to hold up your part of the promise. One can stop paying in a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part of the deal. However, in the covenant, the party not getting their needs met supports the failing party so they can meet their obligations. And I mentioned that God is a covenantal God and He made a covenant with human beings. Where do I see that? Throughout the whole Bible. You know, the Old Testament is really just one narrative. Over and over again, the people keep failing God. It's like no matter what God does, He can part the Red Sea, 
He can throw mana, literally throw bread down from the sky. And these people, after being delivered from slavery, they can come and complain, yo! now we come out here, eat bread from the sky. What is bread from the sky? Man, in Egypt, we had like cereal, we had bacon. We want to go back to Egypt, right? God has to put, if I was God, I'll be like, that's it, zap, right? Let's start a new race, right? Like, let's just end this, right? Man, and over and over again, you know, God tells the people so clearly, this is the instructions, follow it. And the people see it and go, okay, I'm just going to do the opposite of what you told me to do. Kind of like our, some of our children, right? Amen. And, and it's like over and over again, the people are rebellious, they're idolatrous, they worship other gods, they follow other things, they cannot stay loyal. If God was a contractual God, you know what He could do? He could go, that's it, I had enough. You keep, fulfill, you keep failing to fulfill your end, now I'm just going to judge you and zap you all to death. But no, what, is, what does God do? God sends Jesus to make up for all of mankind's shortcomings. God sees over and over again that men cannot fulfill their end, and men possibly, you know, in their depraved state, cannot be holy and righteous. So God says, I will send Jesus to make a way for you to be a bridge, to be a connection. In that sense, God keeps His promise even though we have broken ours. God is a covenantal God and marriage should be that kind of bond between husband and wife. God says in Psalm 89 verse 34, No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. Husbands and wives this day, think upon all the promises that you have made to your spouse. Single people, think of all the promises that you are going to make to your future spouse. Think carefully. Will you be able to say like God, no, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. Then the, back to the story. Then the Pharisees, you know, after hearing it, it just kind of like went over their head because they totally did not acknowledge it. Then they asked Jesus this. So why did Moses command that, you know, a man gives a woman a certificate of divorce and sends her away? Now notice what Jesus replied. Jesus said, Moses permitted. He did not command. I have no idea where the Pharisees got that thinking, but Jesus subtly corrected them by saying, Moses permitted you to have divorce because of your hardened hearts. And he goes on to say, anyone who divorces their wife except for sexual immorality and remarries commits adultery. This leads to my second point. Divorce, consent with a clause. Consent with a clause. Now, in the olden days, right, the, 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 the Pharisees or the Jewish religious people, they would follow two different schools of teaching. There was a school of Shammai and there was a school of Hillel. And on the matters of divorce, they would refuse Deuteronomy 24 as a reference point. Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 says this, right? Put it on the screen. 
Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. Look at that for a moment. It's actually a very dangerous scripture to be having. Don't you think so? And the school of Hillel, they were actually, they, actually, they took a liberal interpretation of this scripture. They literally believed that if your wife did anything wrong against you, maybe they didn't laugh at your joke, maybe they, you know, they burned your dinner, or maybe you, know, they, you don't like the way they look, you don't like the, their new haircut, or they dye your hair, you don't like that, don't like it, you can divorce them that, like that. That's why the, the Pharisees said, for any and every reason. Then there is a school of Shammai, the school of Shammai actually took a more conservative interpretation and they believed that, any, that divorce is only permitted if there was sexual immorality or sexual infidelity. Now, before I go, go on, I want to first say something, okay? Um, I'm, what I'm trying to do right now when I tackle this point is I am not trying to make a point. I'm not trying to prove, that, uh, prove a point or make a point to you. I am just bringing what the Word of God says. And believe me, it was tough. Believe me, it was difficult. I spent, uh, I actually prepared this message till about 3 a.m. on Thursday night because I was like wrestling and really thinking, how can I bring this truth to people gently but gracefully? Because I want to be faithful to what the Word of God says, but I don't want to be some like angry guy on stage, you know, yelling and shouting at people, condemning people for what they did or did not do. Because I understand that in the reality of life, sometimes things are beyond our control. Sometimes divorce comes our way, not because we want it, but because we couldn't stop it from happening for whatever reason. Or sometimes, you know, in our, because of lack of wisdom in our earlier, in our younger age and all that, so... I want to graciously and lovingly say that what I'm telling you is really just from the Word of God. And if I say anything wrong that offends you or makes you angry or hurts you, please forgive me. Now, I want to make a point on this, okay? Regarding the Old Testament law, we all need to realize this, that the Old Testament law, there were three types of laws, moral law, ceremonial law, and civil law. So what still applies today is moral law. Right? So what's moral law? Anything that, regard, that is in regard to morality. So for example, don't kill people. Don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Don't lie. Okay? That's all, those are all moral values, right? Those things still apply even though the grace of God is on us and Jesus is walking on this earth you know, with us and all that kind of stuff. What no longer applies is uh, some ceremonial laws. However, for some civil laws, we have to recognize this is that just because there are some civil laws in the Old Testament about certain issues, it does not mean that God actually endorses those things. For example, slavery. If you read the Old Testament, there are many rules and regulations on how you should and should not treat a slave, when you can keep them and when you should let them go. But we all know that God is not for slavery. God is not for exploitation. And in the same way with divorce, there are scriptures that mediate what divorce should look like and what it shouldn't look like, but it does not mean that God endorses it. We have to read the Bible as a whole and not just a few scriptures here and there. 
And I was really struggling with this, and thank God for our senior pastor, Pastor Chu, because on Friday, I went into the office, and I was, so, I was struggling. I said, Pastor, how do I tackle this point? And he said this to me. He said, John, divorce is the permissible will of God, but not the perfect will of God. It is up to us now whether we want to chase the perfect will of God or the permissible will of God. You know, Malachi 2.16 says this, I hate divorce, says the Lord. Now listen to me very carefully. God hates divorce, but He does not hate divorcees. God hates sin, but He does not hate the sinner. Why? To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's army. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. The Bible says God hates divorce. So that's why Jesus did not jump straight into it and say, you can do this for divorce. Some instance, you cannot divorce. He first shared this, that when a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, they become one flesh. That which God joined together, let no man separate. You know, divorce really is something that really is, I would say as much as this, it hurts God's heart. It hurts God's heart. Now, uh, this is church, right? Can I be a bit real in church? Is that okay? Can I be, can I be real? There's no need to pretend, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, how many of you know that being married is hard? Do you, do you agree with me? Being married is hard, right? Don't, I don't care what, you know, what people post on their Instagram feed or what you see in magazines or that. Being married is hard. And, and so, you know, my wife and I, before we got married, I dated her for about 10 years, right? Since 2008. We got married about, oh no, sorry, seven years. We got married in 2015. And when I got married to her, I thought to myself, ayah, easy lah. You know this girl so long already. Surely this marriage thing is going to be a walk in the park for you. Needless to say, when we got married and we moved in together, my goodness, I felt like I had to relearn and unlearn everything I knew before. And worst thing is, when we had a kid, so just because when I, when I just before I thought, okay, you know, I kind of got this husband thing, you know, figured out and all that, and then suddenly we have a kid, and now we are plunged into a complete realm of the unknown. Hey, if you want adventure and you want to explore the unknown, don't need to go some faraway country, have a kid, then you will have the unknown in your own home, right? And, and it was really like, wow, like it was, it was and, and there are times where we argue, Hey, pastors also argue with their wives one night, incidentally, just in case you don't know. We argue, right? And we argue and we, and we fight. And then, you know, sometimes when you get really, have you ever been in this place? Sometimes you get very angry. You start to say things you don't mean. Oh, no, everybody's like, no lah, I'm very angelic, please. Right? You start to say things you don't mean when you get angry, right? Right? So, so there are words that are thrown about like, ah, yeah, maybe we should have gotten married. Or, ah, yeah, you know, if I knew this, you know, I wouldn't have married you. Ah, yeah, maybe it's better we get a divorce. And those words have actually come up from my mouth before. And when I said that, I was angry. And I was like furious, right? Because we fought over God knows what. Sometimes when you fight, you really don't know what you're fighting about. But in that moment, after that, you know what the Holy Spirit did? I thought the Holy Spirit came and sayang me, oh, your poor John. No, the Spirit came and He gave me a slap in the spirit, of course, not physically. And He rebuked me. And He said, 
John, do you, remember, do you not remember what I taught you? And you know what? I ran to my wife and I told her this. From this day on, we will never, ever have this word divorce uttered in this household. I don't care how bad our fights are. I don't care how dire the situation is. I don't care how angry we are at each other. We will never use this word divorce. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit can be grieved? The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And I take that posture not because I think I'm some super spiritual guy, but it's because I don't want to grieve the heart of God. I don't want to just go for the permissible will of God. I want to go for the perfect will of God. Now, I know you could be saying this, but then there are some situations where they are so bad, right? You know, but then how can I forgive that, you know, that, that sin that person committed against me? You know, how, or the trust that was broken, how can I do, you know, and, oh, you don't know how difficult that person is, you don't know how difficult this person is, you don't know how difficult their families are, right? Because sometimes when we marry an individual, we just don't get one, we get like 20, right? We get, you, know, you don't understand how difficult it is for me. And this is where I come back to the point I made. Do you know God made a covenant with men? Mankind. Because no matter how difficult and disgusting and annoying and terrible people are, God has not divorced us. God has not said, that's enough. I'm sick of you, right? You have crossed some kind of line. This is where we end. And if God will not divorce an adulterous people, an idolatrous people, people who keep on failing Him, let's not be so quick to want to break something that we have made before God and vow to another person. I absolutely believe God can restore. I absolutely believe God can redeem. I even believe God can resurrect. You don't believe me? Just find, just find Pastor Chu or walk Ask anybody serving in our marriage ministry the amount of marriages that have been restored. If you made it in time for the announcements this afternoon, you would have seen the testimony of this person called Jonathan and Regina, how their marriage was on the verge of breakdown, but God restored them and now they have two kids. God can do it. The question is whether we are willing now to trust Him. And if you go, well, but that person, you know what, they did this, they did that then I'll say this very simply. If you were in church last weekend, the message that Pastor Chu preached, right? He, he, you don't even need to listen to the sermon. You just read the title. What is the title? You must forgive. You must forgive. That is the sermon title. Go, go and look it up on Paul. He will tell you why you should forgive and how unforgiveness and bitterness can lead to actually physical illness, even cancer, all that kind of stuff. But beyond all of that, would you mirror the heart of God Will you reflect the heart of God in all things? In all things. And now this leads me to my last point. Because the disciples, upon hearing all of this, they then concluded, it's better not to marry, right? You know, it's, better just, it's better just to stay unmarried. 
And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, well, there's some people that can't get married. There's some people who will not get married, but there are some people who choose not to be married for the sake of the kingdom. So here's my point on singleness. It, you know, there is this saying in, in, in SIBKL, small is not strong, big is not strong, strong is strong. So I'm going to use it for singleness. Single is not spiritual. Married is not spiritual. Spiritual is spiritual. Some people, they, 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 like, to, they, 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 they like to over-spiritualize their singleness. Right? It's like, oh, you know, um, uh, you know because I'm, I'm, I'm single, I got, I'm more spiritual, I am able to focus on the Lord, you know, all that kind of thing, right? Okay, cool. If that is a, that's the case, great for you. Or maybe it's because you can't get a date or something. I don't know, okay, right? right? Some people, they like to over-spiritualize it, right? But in the same way, spirituality, both marriage and singleness, there are avenues to be holy and there are avenues to express spirituality. We should not over-spiritualize married life or even single life. One is not better than the other. It is just different. It is just different. I want to encourage you from Scripture. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32, 35. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life, Paul writes. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please Him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided in the same way a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. And a married woman has to think of her own responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as much few, with as few distractions sorry, as possible. I want to speak to those who are single. Don't look at your singleness as if like it is a curse or as if like something bad has happened to you. Because I'm going to tell, I'm sure as all the married people will tell you, right? Don't think getting into marriage is going to be a walk in the park or a bed of roses. Pastor Lee Chu said this to me, you know, and it still stuck with me for a long, long time. She said this, she said, Jonna, she doesn't call me Pastor John, hey, Jonna. Do you know, uh, getting married, right, is one of the greatest tools of discipleship because then you really know how to die to self. And I went, by the time I go, yeah, whatever, thank you, right? But then, uh, but then now I'm like, oh man, it's really ringing true because you can't just think about yourself. And then she adds even further. She says, and even greater than that, I'm like, wait, greater city, go even greater some more. Greater than that is when you have children. Because then really, your life is not about you. You know, before I was actually, a, a, you know, before I actually became a father, I started thinking about these things. A lot of youth, right, will come to me and sometimes they will complain, you know, they'll say, yo, you know, my, my dad, uh, he don't know how to dress one, man. You know, he will like, you know, he will wear, and then I'll go, oh, yeah, sorry, you've been persecuted. Uh, yeah, your dad's so uncool. And now I look at it, I go, hey, the reason why you have nice clothes is because your dad doesn't have any, he's paying it for you. He's sacrificing, giving you money. And so, church, you know, one day if I start looking bad, please forgive me. I hope you still listen to me. It's because I'm, you know, trying to make my children look good, right? 
But for single people, don't see your singleness as a curse. In fact, don't, I'll go as far as say this, don't waste your singleness. In your singleness, don't be so hung up on looking for a partner. That is the best time now to really seek and serve the Lord and fill yourself up. Fill yourself up. Don't get the idea that, oh, you know, a, a relationship will complete me. If you need completing, it just shows that you're not ready for a relationship. Because, let me tell you something, a person with issues and another person with issues coming together, they won't balance each other out and cancel each other out. When you come together, you know what's going to happen? Your issues are going to multiply. Your issues are really, really going to be multiply. And then, in that instance, will you even have enough God quotient in you to remain married and to keep your covenant. So don't be so quick to wanting to dive into a relationship or marriage, right? Use this time and seek God. And, but, but our singleness is also not reason to sin. It's not reason to sin or it's not an opportunity. Well, I'm still single, I'm free, I can do whatever I want, I can bounce from relationship to relationship and all that. Paul has something to say. He says, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 9, if you can't control yourselves, you should go ahead and marry. It is better to marry than to burn with lust. That's what the Bible says. I'm not trying to be coy or crude. That's what the Word of God says. But in conclusion, I want to say this. Marriage has its own struggles and has its own value, and so does singleness. But I've been in a season where I've been single. I've also been in a season where I've, you know, now that I'm married. And, you know, when I was single, I, I, you know, I used to be able to do all kinds of things and, uh, you know, have a certain kind of freedom and liberty to do whatever I want. And for me, you know, I, I love doing ministry. I love serving God. You know, I love preaching. I love leading. I love doing all these different things. But when I got married, right, suddenly I had to divide my, I had to divide my load. I had to divide my attention. And a lot of times I had to go home now and, and, and you know, spend time with my family and help with my family and all that. And, you know, in, in a way, it's like you could, you could really look at ministry and feel good about it because it's like, oh, you know, when you're on stage, people, are pre- you know, when, when pe- people see you preach, they can applaud you and all that. But when you go home and when you serve your home, nobody sees that. In fact, worst, worst thing is sometimes, right, it's like you clean this spot and then your wife asks you, why you clean like that? You don't know how to clean. And he's like, hello, I'm helping you here, right? But I began to understand and realize this, that serving your family is also ministry. In fact, serving your family is a small, I would dare say, more sacred form of ministry and the purest form. You know why? Sometimes when we serve in church, if we don't guard our hearts, we're not serving because of God. We're serving because we want to get approval from people. Because we want people to commend us. We want people to say good things about us. But when you serve at home, Right? Who sees it? So I'll end with this, right? And we can get the band on stage wherever they are. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says this. Give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Those who are married here this day or those who plan to get married, can I charge you on the authority of Scripture? 
that you remain faithful to one another. Even in the most trying times, even in the most driest of seasons, even when your needs are not met, whether it's physical or emotional, would you not use that as an excuse now to be unfaithful? But would you say, God, help me reflect what a marriage should be like? And I'll end with this quote. We go to the temple to make covenants, but we go home to keep the ones that we have made. Listen to that, or let that sink in for a moment. We go to the temple to make covenants, but we go home to keep the ones that we have made. We come to church to serve in ministry, but when we go home, that is our real ministry. You know, one thing that I never want to happen to me, and the one thing that I would deem as a personal failure on my part, if it's one day my kids actually can say, about me, you know, dad is one way in church, but at home he's not like that. I don't want to do that because I'm not here to put on a show. I'm not here to do this respites and you know, like all this ministry thing for the sake of showing. No, I want to, if my kids ever say that to me, mark my words, you know what I'll do? I'll quit the ministry because I don't want to, my kids growing up in a household thinking of their dad as a hypocrite and then equating that to God that oh you know people who serve God are fake no maybe in my failure like I will not be able to do that I pray that never happens to me but I never want that to happen for my kids and my family and the quote goes on to say this the home is the testing ground the home is the place where we learn to be more Christ-like and I can tell you friends that is so true that is so so true the home is the place where we learn to overcome selfishness and give ourselves in service to others. I want to honour husbands and wives where you have given much of yourself to your household. Maybe, you know, your husband had to really work very, very hard to put, you know, money in the bank and food on the table and you gave up a lot. I know mums who have given up careers, given up dreams, just for their home. Can I say this? That God sees your sacrifice and He will pay you back in full. He will bless you. He will repay you in due time. I know this. I want to also speak to husbands. Appreciate your wives. Appreciate them. Love them. Stay faithful to them. Husbands and wives, stay faithful to one another because the enemy hates families and the enemy wants to destroy families. In fact, research has already shown, I was just reading on this, one thing that is really on my heart at the moment is to all these issues of uh, mental disorders and mental health. I read this somewhere where it said that most families that are strong and healthy have a slimmer chance of raising children with mental disorders. Slimmer chance. It's all in the home. And that's why the enemy wants to go out for families and marriages. Will you stay committed? People, if you are considering divorce or if you are divorced, I want to say there is no condemnation whatsoever that God doesn't condemn you and I believe God can redeem your situation. Can we all rise in this place? 
Now, if you don't have to go, could I ask that you just stay a little while and could we just sing this song, You're a Good Father? Because at the end of the day, God is good and let's trust in Him for whatever situation that you're going through. Whether you're married, whether you're divorced or going through a divorce or you're single, can we say that God, you're good and we trust in You? Come on, let's worship Him with this song. understand if you don't feel comfortable doing so. So I'm just going to say it once and if you feel like the Lord is leading you to respond, you respond. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to push for it. I'm not going to urge you to because, you know, I want to be sensitive but I also want to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I feel like in this place, you know, if you are married and it's not like your marriage, maybe your marriage is just kind of like, you know, like every other marriage, there's ups and downs and all that but you want to rededicate or dedicate yourselves as a couple, your marriage unto God. And I believe that, I want to pray that your marriage is not just going to be good, but it's going to be even better, amen? It's going to be even stronger. So if you feel led to, and that's what you want to do, I'm going to ask that you come to the front. If your spouse is with you, if your spouse is not here with you, that's okay, you stand on behalf of your spouse. But also, the reason why I, want, I gave a generic altar call as that because I want to open now space for the specific. If you 
are struggling in your marriage, you know that the fights are bad or you know you've even or you're even considering divorce, whatever it is, would you be open and allow us, the church, to pray for you? Not that we will have the answers all for you. Not that we can solve all of your issues because really, you know, we can give you advice, but it's only God that heals. But I believe that as you take this step and give yourselves back to God, God can do an amazing work. But you go, but you don't know what we are going through. You don't know what he's like. You don't know what she's like. Yeah, I don't. But I know what God is like. And that's enough. I know who God is. And that's enough. And I know he has the power to restore, to redeem, and even to resurrect. I believe in that. So we're going to get the leaders to come to the, come to the front and just to help minister. And if that's you, you feel led to respond, I want to ask you now to respond. We're not going to push it. We're not going to wait a long, long time. But if that's you, you feel like you want to respond, will you do us the honour by allowing us to pray for you? And we're just going to sing the song, You're a Good Father. And as we worship, if you feel led to respond, you do that. Let's worship Him. Come on. You're a good, good Maybe you could hold hands or just put your arms around each other as I pray for you. I want to pray that the marriages of SIBKL will not just be okay, but it will be strong. That it will be strong. That the presence of God will fill your household. That your children will grow knowing of the goodness and of the favour of the Lord. And I also want to pray for those who are single that God's favour is still upon you. Whatever your heart desires, that God will work powerfully in you and through you. And even for those who are separated or are being, who have been separated, that no condemnation will be upon you, but rather the grace and the peace of God will forever be with you. Let's pray. Father, I commit every person here who is married and who, is, who are preparing to get married Lord, I pray that your presence will be upon them, 
that you will fill their hearts and fill their household that you will lead them and guide them to be the men and women of God that you want them to be that their household will be one that is united that the enemy will have no foothold in their marriage and in their children that indeed Lord they will go and know how your goodness and your mercy will follow us every day of our lives Lord, I also pray for those who are divorced or considering divorce or are separated. Oh Lord, I ask in Jesus' name right now, you remove any sense of condemnation, but rather the peace and the grace and the conviction of the Holy Spirit will be upon them. That you will restore and redeem whatever the enemy has tried taken from them. That indeed the latter years of their life will be greater than their former years. And I want to pray those for those who are also single, Lord. Lord, I pray that they will use this time, use this time where more and more of you will be poured out to them. That they will know of your greatness and your faithfulness that they will not just know about you they will know you intimately that even as whatever you have planned for them whether it's marriage or to continue to serve you your presence will forever be upon them so we thank you God that whether we are married divorced or single we are still without exception sons and daughters of God that your love is available for each and every one of us that even as we fail you know I just feel like um, so, so I'm just going to release this and I'll close I just feel like there is somebody here you know you feel like you have failed as a mother but I feel like God is saying no just as I was preaching this whole time you felt you know you wanted to be engaged but you felt a sense of heaviness on you and suddenly all the mistakes that you've ever made all the things that you have not done and that you have done have come to your mind I feel like God is saying reject those thoughts and embrace the fact that you are still God's daughter and that it's not too late for you so I release the peace of God to be upon you and I speak condemnation to come off you right now in Jesus name Lord we thank you for this time we worship you we give you back all the praise and all the glory in Jesus name we pray Amen Amen